Would you please welcome Mark Reynolds up to the stage? Yeah, I got notes. That's the danger of having a teacher come and talk to you. It, um, I don't know if you guys had the experience in your family this Christmas. Um, I think it was just a couple of days ago, Lori changed our living room and she put a picture up on the wall. And I said, what's that? And she said, well, that's our Christmas present from three years ago. But she had bought it, and she was going to give it to us as our couple's present to each other. And then it got put away. And if you've ever had that where you find a present like a year later or maybe a couple of years later, this was three years later, she discovered, I don't know where it was hidden, but she discovered the picture. And so she put it up on the wall and was like three days after Christmas, Merry Christmas again. Now, why am I telling you that story? Because we're going to talk today about healing. Now, healing is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a ministry of the Holy Spirit. There isn't a person in this room that doesn't need healing, but it's something that we kind of have put away. And we forgot that it was in a back room until we really needed it. And then when we really needed it, we thought, well, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't pull it out right now. And I'm going to tell you, pull it out right now. We're going to talk about healing. Now, I'm not going to talk about it, I hope, as a teacher so much, as I'm going to talk to you the way Jesus would. That is, Jesus never taught his disciples about healing. He didn't teach them how to heal people. He didn't teach them how to diagnose people. He didn't teach them what they would need to know for medicines and everything else that they should get themselves involved with. He just said, your heavenly father loves you. And he would teach them about the kingdom of God. In fact, when he sent the 12 out and the 72 out, to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And he said to them, heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. And then when they came back excited that it actually happened, he said, don't be so excited about all that. Be excited that you belong to my father. He knows you by name. And that excitement of being a belonging in the kingdom of God is the gift that he wants us to unwrap. And so what I'm going to talk to you this morning about is well, why healing at all? I mean, why would God bother to heal people? Well, I'll tell you what I've discovered, and some of you are living it right now. We've lost some significant people in this church family because of illness this last year and the last month or so. And I'll share a part of one of their stories in which God played a very healing role, although they went to be with him, which is how he healed them. But there are some of you who are struggling with the issue of why healing? It doesn't happen to everybody. Why doesn't it? And our mindset nowadays today is about healing by going to the doctor's office, healing by going to a clinic. And I'm going to not say that that's a choice that's one's good and one's bad. I'm going to say to you, this is what God looks at when he talks about healing, because healing is a part of who he is. It's not something separate from him. And so when we're talking about healing, the one neat thing that healing does through God or through a doctor or anywhere, it says he's in control. <laughs> it says that he loves us and he cares. And he hears your prayers when you cry out for healing. It says he's listening and that we're his. And in this world, we're a part of it, but we're not of it. So I'm going to start with a definition. My definition, and I think it's a biblical one, is that healing is the rescue and restoration of a person to wholeness, to purpose, and to function or design, and to calling. When you are healed, you will exclaim, he found me. He knows me. He knows what I needed. That's our definition. And I'm going to give you one other part, and that is that this morning... Um, where are we going? I want you to know where we're going with this. You saw two people, maybe, come up to the altar this morning. Something stirred in their heart. The Holy Spirit said to them, come on up, talk to me. Let's talk about it. I went and prayed with one of them this morning. I didn't say a word to him. I just prayed with him 
because I knew God was with them at that altar this morning, and they were doing God business together. Well, what are we going to do at the end of this after I talk to you about healing? I'm not here to teach you about healing. I'm here to introduce you to the Holy Spirit who heals. And if you refuse to come forward to some place, which may be this altar, it may be where you're sitting, it may be in the car when you leave here, it may be at your house, it may be at a doctor's office. More likely or not, today it'll be a teleconference because doctor's offices are closing down and hospitals, waiting rooms, and emergency rooms are too full. But I'm going to say to you that what God wants is for you to be a part of a healing that he wants to offer you. And where are we going? That means that we're going to go to a place before this service is over 30 minutes from now in which I'm going to invite you to come up to the altar and be healed. Now, what's that mean? Does this mean something weird's going to go on? No. No, it's not going to be something weird going on. In fact, if I could do it this morning, I'm going to tell you a doc, or an apple a day keeps the doctor away. That's an expression that started in the 1800s, and it started out of sailors getting scurvy because they didn't have fresh vegetables and fruit on a boat, and their boat trips were four to six weeks long to go across the Atlantic. And they learned that people wouldn't have to get sick and die if they gave them fresh fruit. And so this expression came about, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. Well, what we're going to do today is just take a slice out of the apple. I'm not going to eat the whole thing. That's too much. I have enough notes to teach for weeks on healing. I spent 45 years of my life in medicine. I'm a dentist, but I'm a dentist who's also a physician dentist. I'm one of those who still to this day, even though I retired out of private practice, I teach over at Maine General Hospital, the residents there, because they need some information about head, face, and neck pain and, and the things that get inside our head and get inside our heart that make us sick. And that's where I spend my time still. I've spent 45 years studying healing, but I'm not going to try and tell you you need to go to, to school to be a healer. I'm not going to tell you that the Holy Spirit needs you to understand what he does when he heals you. He doesn't teach the disciples. This is what you need to know about healing. This is the oil that you need to use. This is the hand and how you lay it on them. These are the words that you have to use. This is the magic expression that you use to get people healed. He doesn't do any of that. He just sent them out with authority. So we're going to talk about the authority of the Holy Spirit this morning and what a difference it makes. So I'm expecting that at the end of this morning, when I say to you, those of you that want to be healed, come on up to the altar. Come on up to the altar. Now, you can do it somewhere else if you want to. You can tell a conference. You can call a friend. Just call on Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. And it makes a big difference. We talked about abiding, and it's all about abiding. In fact, Jesus speaking in John 15. Now, those of you who've been in the journey, you know that. There's about nearly 100 people in here who've been through the journey. And in that process, we have focused on John 15, verse 5 and verse 7, which says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And if you remain in me and my words remain in you, now, women and men, that means the self-feeding that we were trying to get you to do. If my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you so that my Father gets all the credit, gets all the glory. That's where we're going. If I abide in you, Lord, then there's no healing that's outside you. I don't have to worry about, did I go to the doctor's office or did I go to the church service altar? There is no healing outside of the Father. We live in this thing, and we'll get to some of my slides. Go to the next slide for me. That'll keep me on track here. Oh, it's easy for me to get off track. Because the major theme that's in the Bible itself is to give us hope. That's what healing's about. It's to give us healing to wholeness and function and design and calling, but it's to give us hope. Because when you're sick and you can't seem to get well, or you've got a relative who is dying, or you've got a friend that they're going through cancer, or whatever it is that they've got, we've lost several people in this congregation to COVID, and you couldn't visit them. They couldn't even speak, most of them. They were on ventilators. But as they were dying, the family was just in this most desperate of places of, I just wish I had 
hope. And the Holy Spirit is about giving hope. If I were to pull out the scripture, which I will do, and read it to you, it's Romans chapter 5. Let me pull it up. Yes, I did leave my Bible at home by mistake this morning. And I texted my wife to bring it, and she did not get my text. That does not make it her fault. That makes it my fault. But Romans 5, 1 to 5, listen to this. Now, these aren't all scriptures on healing. I'm going to give you some of those, but they're scriptures on healing because healing is of the Father. It's of Jesus himself. Our faith in Jesus, this is by the, uh, what do you call it, the Passion Version, TPT, if you're in your Bible app. Our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us. He actually transfers his righteousness to us. And he now declares us flawless in his eyes. This means we can now enjoy true and lasting peace with God. And all because of what our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, has done for us. Our faith guarantees us this permanent access into this marvelous kindness that has given us a perfect relationship with God. What incredible joy bursts forth in us that we have this relationship with God. But we also enter into troublesome times. And the last part of it says, because in trouble it brings about patient endurance that will refine our character. And proven character leads us back to hope. And this hope is not some disappointing fantasy because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts. Healing is about hope. Healing is about God's presence and his spirit at work. And what we're going to talk about this morning is we need that deliverance. That passage says that God connects our hope to his justification of us. That is, he exchanged his righteousness for ours. We have access to a God who is more than willing, more than able to heal us. That's what that scripture says. It says he also connects us to our sufferings and our tribulations, sicknesses, weaknesses. Even in those, God is at work. Now, I'm going to contrast for you at times because most people who ask God for healing expect an immediate response. They expect an event. Now, I'll tell you that my experience has been that I have been with some people, and some of you in here have experienced it. Whether we had Barry Perez here, who is what we would sometimes call a man God uses exclusively or extensively for healing, and he's been a guy that I questioned Day in and day out while he stayed with us, I wanted to know, is he a charlatan? Is this ministry for real? And we shared hours together talking it over. And I said, it's not about an event, is it? He said, no, it's a process. It may start as an event. The men just graduated from the journey. That's not an event. It was nine months long. Of course it's not an event. No, it didn't end at nine months. It began at nine months. It's a process. And healing is a process. To the woman who was with hemorrhage for 12 years, she reaches out and touches the edge of his garment. And it says power went from Jesus into her, and she knew immediately that she was healed. And he turns to her and says, who touched me? I'm getting ahead of my slides. Sorry, guys. But he says, who touched me? Because power went out of me. That's Holy Spirit healing went out. That's the love of the Father went out. And she realizes that she's caught, and she confesses that for the last 12 years she's been going to doctors, which there weren't real doctors in those days. Jewish people weren't allowed to have doctors. Only God can heal. You could go to the priest, and he would diagnose you as better or not, but the priest didn't heal you. Only God could. That's why they didn't like Jesus doing what he was doing, because it meant he was God. And so... He calls her out and she confesses what she'd been doing. And for 12 years, she'd been breaking all the laws because she had a constant hemorrhage. We don't know what kind, but her hemorrhage made her unclean. I know that. So she wasn't supposed to be in crowds of people or going anywhere. In fact, she had to go to Gentile doctors. <laughs> and Jesus turns to her after the event of her healing when she touches his garment. And he says, go, your faith has made you well. It's made you whole. She wasn't entirely whole till she kept following him. It's a process that starts as an event for some people. Sometimes it ends as the event. 
my really good friend Nancy, who was in our life group, fought cancer for six years, and this last month on November the 22nd, her healing became an event. <laughs> she closed her eyes that day. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to break all my s slides, I'm sorry, but this is just where God's going to go. Nancy taught me how you trust God for healing in a most ingenious way. I wasn't there, but Nancy went in for her six years, the cancer came back. She went in for a PET scan to find out where it had spread to. And for some reason, she came out of that room and she collapsed. She could not feel her legs anymore. They didn't know what it was. Turns out the tumor that had come back had cut through her spinal column and she lost use of her legs and she collapsed. Well, she stayed at our house because it doesn't have steps like her house does and we were out of town. And while she's at our house, she needs to go to the bathroom and she goes into the bathroom and she's sitting on the toilet and she goes to get up and she reaches for the towel bar to get some traction to pull herself up. And as you can imagine, the towel bar rips out of the wall. She slides and hits the floor, and she breaks her ankle. Now, fortunately for Nancy, she had her cell phone with her because there's nobody else around. I mean, everybody who is there, Walt and Sheree are now in Florida. We're in the Bahamas. Nobody's there. She calls her cell phone and dials 911, and the ambulance comes, and she's on the floor, and the two guys come in, and Nancy was a big lady, and they couldn't lift her. So they called for backup. And another ambulance came, and she's there. And Nancy is doing her best to help them out, to get her up off the floor. And she's crying, and she's totally embarrassed, she said. And she's just doing everything she can to push off the toilet and push off the floor. And they went, ma'am, please, you're not helping us. But I need to help you, she said. You're not helping us. And this is what they told her to do. Please. helping us. We need you to surrender. <laughs> we need you to surrender. What do you do when you're in this church service and people around you are raising their hands in the church service and the song service like we had this morning with the Holy Spirit's present? When you do this, you're doing this. You're surrendering to what the Holy Spirit is trying to get you to understand that there is healing for you and there is hope for you if you surrender. The man who came at the altar surrendered. Well, Nancy learned, and she told us that story, and I said, that's amazing. I didn't know what surrender looked like. I know what it feels like. I don't like it. It means I'm surrendering. I'm giving up. But all the people who touched Jesus and were healed surrendered. Because in his hometown, he couldn't do much healing because there wasn't any faith there. That means they thought he was just the carpenter's son, and we know his brothers and his sisters, and where does he get this stuff? And so he left after they kicked him out of his hometown, and that was it. Not much healing going on. But the bottom line is that having hope and having healing is not God's ultimate. It's not the end game. What is the end game? It's holiness. That's wholeness, which I defined healing, but it's holiness, that is being like God. In the beginning, Adam and Eve made this terrible mistake. They were given a choice. They were deceived. We get all that. And when they made the wrong choice and they said to themselves, basically, after listening to the enemy, they said to themselves, we can make it on our own. If we have this knowledge that's good and evil, we can make it on our own. You want to be a physician today? And your kids want to be a physician? That's 12 years of college. But it's only 12 years of college to graduate to get your general practice residency ticket. Well, I work with them at the hospital, and let me tell you, it's another 20 years before you know what you're doing. Oh, it's, it's true. It's laughable, but it's true. And you may think it's really silly, but when they have a patient that's in there, I sit in as a preceptor, and when they have a patient, they don't know what to do with it, they come into the room, and there's five of us in that room, and they go, what do you think? <laughs> One of the five is really smart in that room. They pull out their computer or their phone, and they Google it. Yeah. Now, you say to yourself, I don't want to go to a doctor who's going to Google things. Oh, yes, you do. 
because they've just admitted, I don't know enough. I don't have the Holy Spirit diagnosing. I don't have that power behind me. And so what they do, well, see, going 12 years of school gets you a ticket to be a physician, but it doesn't mean that you are a healer. It doesn't mean you're a healer. It means you're a diagnoser. It means you are a prescription writer. It means that you care about people or you care about money or you care about influence, but a healer is none of those things alone. And Jesus, when he's in our lives, is not diagnosing. He never taught one disciple how to diagnose. In fact, there's an episode in Mark 9 where the father of the little boy who is a deaf mute and he constantly has seizures from a demon and he throws himself into the fire and the water and the man comes up to his disciples and says, I brought my son to your disciples and they couldn't heal him. How come? Jesus just shakes his head and goes, how long do I have to put up with an unbelieving generation? He's not putting the father down. He understands the father's need for hope. And he says to him, how long has your son been like this? And he says, well, ever since he was a little boy, he would throw himself into the fire. What does that mean? Well, that meant whenever the mom cooked, that little boy would have a seizure and he would fall into the burning embers, just like I had my three-year-old daughter once fall into our hot stove, our wood-burning stove, and instant blistering. Well, this little kid had instant blistering come up, but the pot was boiling the soup or whatever was on that fire, and it knocked over, and he now had burn marks all over him. So Jesus looks at the father and the little boy and asks a question he knows the answer to. How long has it been like this? Because this little boy is scarred. And he can't cry out because he's deaf mute. And he says to him, why can't your disciples do anything about this? You ever feel helpless in healing? Well, the disciples sure did that day. Even the three who came down from the mountain, transfiguration, they didn't know what to do either. And so Jesus says to the little boy's father, Let's, let's take care of this problem. And he goes, well, I really would like to, but I, my faith isn't strong enough. Jesus said, don't worry about your faith being strong. It's not your faith I care about. It's mine. Will you trust me? And healing is about trusting your heavenly father as he speaks to your heart by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that you need to understand what the process is. You don't need to understand, was that a demon or a seizure or was that fire damage? Or You don't need to understand any of that. All you need to do is say, help, just help. And the father says, help, help me with my unbelief. Jesus does it and heals him. The disciples go up to him and say, how come we couldn't diagnose that? And then after we di diagnose it, how come we couldn't write a prescription that would get him better? And Jesus said, it's not about those things. It's about doing what you're gonna do for this next month of January. It's about prayer and fasting. What's prayer and fasting? That means you're going to get close to your heavenly father. And you'd be amazed what he'll speak to you. I've been working on this sermon for a month. And every morning, it was like having coffee with Jesus. We sat down every morning and I would open my devotional. I'd talk to him. And he'd just give me the next thing. Problem is, he didn't quit talking. <laughs> but I couldn't not write it down. I was amazed at what he wanted to see. That our ultimate need is his indwelling. And this year, this time of year, what do we pursue? We pursue New Year's resolutions. We want a new start. We want new hope. We want change in our lives. We want transformation. We want to lose a few pounds. We want to get rid of an old bad habit. Whatever it is that we want, we want a new job. And he says, there's a transforming grace that will bring that to you, but it has nothing to do with your willpower. Because your willpower isn't going to get you there. That father wanted his son healed so bad it hurt. So let me see, where are we on the slides? What's the next slide on there? I think it says, where would you find Jesus today? Is that one on there? It's number two. Yeah, where would you find Jesus ministering to the sick today? I'm asking this as a real question. Would you find him at Maine General or Northern Lights? That's Inland Hospital. Would you find him in the emergency room? Is Jesus, you're going to find him as the head hospital administrator, or is he chief of surgery, chief of oncology, cancer therapy? Is he clinical counseling, social worker, mental health worker? Maybe he's just the insurance claim adjuster and administrator, because that's what we really need. I can't afford the copay. Is he the outpatient coordinator because, well, nowadays you can't get in the hospital unless you got COVID. Is, is he a nurse? 
Is he the one who really sits down with your bedside manner perfect? Is he the dietitian who gives you better lifestyle menu choices? Is he the chaplain at the hospital who just comes in and prays with you? Is he the outpatient coordinator or the research scientist who's out there trying to find the next vaccine? Is he even like some of our doctors who act like God? You ever got a doctor who acts like God? Yeah, we all know what it is, and we don't like them. They don't have what we call good bedside manner. Good bedside manner is important because what you really want is a doctor who has the same disease that you've got, who's been through it, who understands, who will listen to you. The Holy Spirit will listen to you. He is a wounded healer. Because from the scriptures, Peter writes in it, and I think I've got it in a later slide. He says, by his wounds and his stripes, we are healed. We have a physician who is a wounded healer. Now, Luke 9, 7 says, now when Herod was perplexed, when he heard this biblical account, that Jesus was in the range of the area around him, and he was healing all these people. Herod, the Roman governor there, was perplexed. Go to the next slide for me. It's number three. I know I messed you guys up for jumping around. I'll read it to you if you don't have it there. It says that John had been taken to prison, and he was being held at, this is it, and John sent us, his disciples, to you saying, are you the one to come? That is, the one that would be the Messiah that Moses spoke about. Are you the one to come, or should we wait for somebody else? In that hour, Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered John the Baptist's disciples, and he said to them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have the good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who does not stumble over me. You can go to the next slide. I think we'll get to it. Because John was having a problem that we all have. Healing is a wonderful thing when you get it, but when you don't get it the way you want it and expect it, you stumble. God, why didn't you heal my mother? God, why didn't you heal my child? God, why didn't you, why didn't you? Why didn't you do it like I wanted? Because there's two types of waiting on healing. One of them is called expectation. God, I expect you to do this the way I want you to do it. That leads to disappointment. And the other way is anticipation. Anticipation says in your faith to God, God, I know you're going to do something in my life today, this year, whatever it is. I know you're going to heal me of the wound of losing my parent. I know you're going to heal me of the wound of losing my child. I know that you're going to help my child who has a chronic illness condition that's going to be there the rest of their lives. And I'm just anticipating there will be so many God moments where we meet in our lives together that I will know and they will know healing beyond the event. They'll know what it is to have hope. They'll know what it is to have a healing that lasts in a different way. Now, Herod was perplexed. John's disciples were perplexed, just like we are. We're perplexed about this whole issue of healing and how does the Spirit do that? Well, I will tell you that in every biblical account, mainly in the New Testament, but some in the Old, healing is an integral part of the gospel. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, has healing as a main component. Now, there are plenty of people out there who will argue healing doesn't exist today. We have physicians. I've already laughed at that. We have physicians. We have medicine. Listen, medicine didn't even come about till 1850 modern medicine, when Louis Pasteur found out that there were germs that would kill us. <laughs> That's only as recent as under 200 years. We've gotten quite cocky and quite readily. Americans have this tendency, we can do it on our own. We are self-sufficient. We can handle it. I don't need a vaccine. I can handle it. I do need a vaccine. I, I can still handle it. All the issues that are out there, and we get so polarized on them that the whole concept of what healing is about gets lost in the mix. And so what we have is, let me see if I can get to this. Go to this next slide, it's number four. Yes, that was it, go back to that one. Yeah, 
We have, see, this is the problem we have. We have this treasure. What treasure? The presence of God in us. We have this treasure. We have this treasure in earthen vessels to show that the surpassing power doesn't belong to the guy who comes every few months to your church service as a healer. No, the power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed. That was Herod. That was John's disciples, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We are always carrying in our bodies the death of Jesus. What does that mean? That's sickness, that's wounds, that's suffering. Some of you may actually get sick. Some of you may have suffered abuse, physical, mental, emotional, sexual. There's people who had things happen to them in this world. We live, which is my next slide coming up in a few, we live in a broken world. And what's the problem that we need healing? The problem's you, and it's me. The problem with needing healing is we live in a broken world. That's the source of sickness and pain and suffering. It's a broken world ever since Adam. The first death is because two brothers couldn't get over how to worship God so that one wouldn't kill the other. <laughs> and God diagnoses the problem. First diagnosis in the Bible. God goes up to Cain and he says to him, what are you doing? Do you not see that sin is crouching at your door? Why are you so angry at your brother? I accepted him because he gave of himself. I didn't accept you because you just gave me some stuff. You didn't give me you. You didn't surrender. But if you master this, it won't take you down. So he thinks it over. He goes out and talks to his brother in the field and he kills him. Because we live in this broken world, sin and sickness, that's one source. We have this problem you and I, but sin isn't just outside of us. Sin's inside of us. Well, I know the grace of God brought you deliverance. It brought you forgiveness. But if you think forgiveness is enough, you are badly mistaken. Forgiveness is wonderful. Every time you've forgiven anybody, whether it's your kids or your spouse forgives you, it makes all the difference in the world to be forgiven. But do it again to your spouse. <laughs> Yeah, forgiveness is just a word until your lifestyle changes after that. Well, the lifestyle change that you need, who gives that to you? That's Holy Spirit again. That's a healing. That's not an event. It's a process. And what we need beyond forgiveness is we need power over sin. Because sin, according to Paul, Romans 6 and 7, says, I wrestle with it inside, and I cannot seem to overcome it. Paul was not an overcomer of sin after he wrote that passage. You and I wrestle with sin on the outside, but we wrestle with sin on the inside. And this inside sin that brings sickness to our soul and eventually death that Jesus has freed us from but not the results of the sin that's in there. There's still consequences. Your kids still lie to you. I still lie to my wife. I still break promises. I still do stupid things. I still buy gifts that we shouldn't be able to afford. <laughs> I still do things that are absolutely, oh, that's not a sin, Mark. That's just you getting what you need. No, that's a sin. <laughs> because it's going after what I want. Because the problem with me is me. And that solution lies in the Holy Spirit. And that is what healing is about. Now, you expect me to just to talk to you about physical healing or mental healing or emotional healing. That's good, but God doesn't want just healing. He wants holiness. He wants a change in us. So I'm going to jump to you guys to this last. Well, i got a few more minutes. <laughs> Zach, you'll wave a hand or something. I'll try and pay attention to you. Um, this is my other sin. This, for those of you who will know, discount the rest of my words, this is Diet Mountain Dew, and it is one-third orange juice. No, they don't make it that way yet. I have to make it my own. Makes it so I can still talk to you. But we've got this source of sin. We've talked about that. It's out in the world. It's a broken world. That means things are going to happen. It's inside me. That means things are going to happen. That means I have to take the fall seriously. If not, I'm too naive as to what's going to take me down. 
But then this other thing happens, and that is there are transitions. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, when the men who went through the journey and the women who went through the journey, as not being an event, they went through a transition. Now let's help you understand what I mean by transition. Let's just call these Chris and Kim. Chris is a male, Kim's his wife, and I'm not talking about you guys, Chris and Kimberlyn. This isn't them. But let's just say that Chris and Kim decide that they're going to have a baby. And because they're going to have a baby, they're going, whoa, I wonder what this is going to do to our life. And so they start reading all the books on child care. And then they go to the Lamaze classes before the baby's going to be due in the seventh, eighth, ninth month. And they take the classes on how to have a baby, but they are not prepared for losing sleep for the next few months. They are not prepared for the change in responsibilities that they will have to go as husband and wife. What do you mean you're not cleaning the floors anymore, honey, and not doing the laundry? I never had that job before, but I'm so tired now, honey. Don't you love me? I, our baby, I'm taking care of the baby, and I'm up five times a night doing feeding, and you're not. They're going to go through this thing that we call transition. Transition is something that happens to you that your lifestyle changes. And in that transition, you recognize new roles, new responsibilities, and in our walk to overcome sin in our life, the Holy Spirit comes in and says, I've forgiven you. You have my righteousness. It's all done. But you need more than that. You need to go through a transition. This transition is going to cost you dying daily. This transition is going to challenge you. And one of the big challenges I'm going to do is I'm going to let sickness come into your life. You're kidding me. You're trying to say that God brings sickness into my life? Well, we could argue that every which way. Let me just say that there isn't any of you who will go through life without being sick. That's not a curse from God. That's just part of, he uses that as a tool in his toolbox to help us to go through transitions where we trust him where we learn what it really is. Get sick, really sick, or have one of your kids get really sick, or have a chronic condition that will be with you the rest of your life, whether it's fibromyalgia, uh, cystic fibrosis. Uh, there's just a zillion of chronic, never-going-away diseases that we live with, that they happen to be toolbox items in God's thing of how can I change their life. Romans 5 says, these tribulations, these stresses, these sicknesses are there to give us endurance. If you want just instant healing, God says, sometimes. But sometimes people are more impressed when you endure and you show them what it is to trust God when the transition's not over. And healing is about those areas too. Let me see what I want to get to as we wrap this up. Yeah, I got lots more. <laughs> what I want you to see, though, that is sickness is not an identity. For a lot of people, sickness becomes an identity. The identity may be because you had to go on disability. And you've heard people, are you disabled? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm disabled. What are you disabled from? Oh, you're one of those. Why don't you get a job? Why don't you get up and help yourself? No, I'm disabled. Or I've got a condition, and we name the condition. Did we name it ourselves? No, some nice doctor did. <laughs> some nice therapist did. Some spouse did. Some family member did. And it usually goes somewhere that the bottom line is almost a no good. You're a no gooder. You can't help yourself. My father was an alcoholic. I used to wrestle for most of my life with, Dad, don't you love us enough to stop your drinking? It wasn't a matter of that. He just couldn't. It was terrible. It was horrible growing up with him. But he was also a guy who, when I was four years old, went down because an alarm came in and says, your grandmother's house is on fire, and she's in there. She kept a tenant to pay the bills like we do today, and he was smoking, and the house caught on fire. And the whole fire department was there when Dad dragged us all out that night, and was there, and my dad got out of the car, and it's his mom's house, his mom's inside, and the fireman grabbed my father and tried to stop him from running into that house. Now, it had only been eight years since he was in World War II in the South Pacific. My father ignored every fireman there and broke through them. He ran into that house, 
And we watched. Now, this is faint memory for me, but the story's been retold. And he runs into that house, and we see him emerging through the smoke like it's a movie, carrying his mother over his shoulder as he goes in and gets her out. He suffers pretty severe burns all over his arms. That the rest of my life growing up, I would see those scars and know this man loved. Nothing was stopping him from loving. That's Jesus' work. No, that was with a father who's a horrible alcoholic who abused us every other day of our lives, but God uses that in his toolbox to let us know what he is like. And in that process, ask any sick person, and they will say to you, I need healing. I'm going to suggest, and I'll post them on our page, that you look on your own in this month of January which is a month to refocus. It's a month for us to look at. There are so, you could write books. We got libraries full of healing. From the man's side of it, how to diagnose. The 12 years I spent in school, plus every 45 years since. And just the life things, experiences that you sift through because you get perplexed too. There's books written. There's the Bible written. It's full of these stories. Do not believe what most of the writers say. Oh, healing's not for today. We live in this age of enlightenment that says, the only healing you're gonna get today is teleconference, go to the emergency room, go to the emergency care, go to your physician, go to, go to, go to. That is one way. There's nothing wrong with that way. God's taught most of that to us. He's released some information to us with Louis Pasteur. He said, hey dude, look at this. You heat it to 150 degrees and it doesn't make you sick anymore. That's great. And from that, we got our first vaccines, 1854. But before that, and have we come a long way? Yeah. Have we come all the way? Never. Because the enemy's got new diseases to hit us with every chance he gets. But our faith and our trust is an amazing thing when it connects with the Holy Spirit. Those first four songs this morning were about connecting with the Holy Spirit. God, I just want to rest in your arms. That's what trust looks like. If you say to yourself, wait a minute, I, I can't figure out. Go to this last slide that says it's number 19. It's not the last one, but it's the last one we'll do. It says, let's summarize. This is what you need to know about healing. For if you come up to the altar today, can I be healed? Yes, you can. Will it be an event? I don't know. Will it be in a process? Yes, I can tell you that. Is everybody going to get healed? No, they won't. Not that we'll see. Maybe not now. Let's summarize, though. God knows. Everybody in the journey, this, you went through these four steps. God knows. He cares about you. What he knows. He is able and he is willing. All over the New Testament, every time Jesus healed, he is able and he is willing. Never did Jesus turn anybody down. Even the little argument with the woman from Syrophoenician, a Gentile with her daughter who was demon-possessed, she got around to talking to him and showing her faith, and he healed her daughter. Prayer is an essential part of connecting with God regarding sin, sickness, and brokenness. I think it's left out of this slide, but Jesus saw two big places in which prayer is essential for healing. In Matthew's gospel, he said, and we do this all the time in the church, wherever two or three of you are gathered together in my name. Can you finish that? There I am in the midst. What benefit is that? Because you can ask whatever you wish if you're in his will. What is the context of that verse? The context of that verse is Peter having a problem with one of his neighbors, and he says to Jesus, when Jesus says to him, you need to forgive your neighbor and love him, he says, well, how many times? And Jesus tells him, not seven times, which is like the perfect number for Jewish people. The Pharisee said, forgive him three times. Peter said, I can do seven. I'm, I'm good enough for that. And Jesus, no, 70 times seven. What's 70 times seven? Well, that's out of the book of Daniel. That's the, the 70 days of the 70 years. That means until I come back, you keep forgiving them. Well, wait, that's, that's kind of hard, God, isn't it? The context of Matthew, wherever two or three are gathered, is about forgiveness. It's wherever two or three are gathered and forgiveness is the subject, then I'm in your midst. 
That's what I'm all about. I'm all about healing and wholeness and forgiveness. I'm all about transitions and new beginnings. I'm all about hope. Wherever two or three are gathered in my name and they want me to give them pizza free at the local place, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about when forgiveness is the issue. So James, his brother, becomes believer, writes in James 5, is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them lay hands on him, anoint him with oil, and pray over him. And if he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven, and he will be made whole. Jesus makes this connection between prayer and healing. And he goes further in Matthew 7, 7, and he says, it's not instant all the time. Ask. The word is keep on asking. Seek. And the text is keep on seeking. Knock. And it's keep on knocking. So if one of you has a neighbor who's gone to bed and you have a need because this sickness has come up, and you go to your neighbor and you say to him, hey, get up and pray with me, won't you? He says, give me a piece of bread. And he says, that neighbor, even if he's just gone to bed, if you keep persistent, he'll get up. He'll give you what you need. Isn't your heavenly father more than that neighbor? Your heavenly father says, ask, seek, knock, keep on doing it. It's not always instant. And the church is the active community of healing on every level. He came to make sick mankind well. He came to make dead men alive. He came because we live in the land of the dead, and we are going to the land of the living. That's a pretty big distinction. He is more than willing to heal us if we will trust him. Now, again, I said to you, and I'm not going through more notes. Don't worry about the next slide. What does trust look like? What does trust enough to make your life go from dead to alive? Jesus, please come into my heart. I know who I am. I know what my life is like. I don't need a physician to diagnose how messed up I have with it. Just forgive me. And he says, I will forgive you. I'm able to. No problem. You don't have to do anything special. And I wrestled for weeks when I got saved and said, well, don't I have to do something? Don't I have to be better? Don't I have to work harder? He goes, no. What Nancy showed me, he just says, do this. Just surrender. I'll take care of you. I love you. Okay, well, that works for my salvation, but then there's something else. I got this problem me. I got saved 48 years ago now. And I can tell you there's a lot of stories in 48 years about how Mark messed up life, mine and a lot of other people. But he said, are you mine or not? All I ask you to do is not work harder. Don't be better. That's going to happen because I make you whole. You can't make yourself whole. I would have patients coming in as a dentist, and they go, well, how come you're charging so much for that? And I'd say to them, here, here's the little pellet of silver filling. You put it in. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do it for myself either. Jesus is the one who does the healing, the filling, the fulfilling, the giving us of hope, who does the healing in our lives. And he says, what does surrender look like? It does with the EMS people, four men, riding that day to our house. Nancy's laying on the floor. She's doing everything she can to help. And they said to her, ma'am, you're not helping. <laughs> but I don't want to be dead weight to you. He goes, please do. <laughs> please do. Because as soon as she surrendered and became dead weight and crossed her arms over her chest, they got her on either side. They picked her up, put her on the gurney. And as they got to the door, she wanted to help again. Ma'am, just lay back down. We'll carry you down the steps. We'll put you into the ambulance. We'll take you to the hospital. It's our job. You're not giving us problems. It is the Holy Spirit's job that when you surrender, he takes over. When you need healing, and I don't care what kind of healing, you got a disease, you got a psoriasis, you got, we've got so many letters and abbreviations from ADHD to PTSD to CA for cancer. We got so many things. What does that do for us? It gives us a label. Jesus is not about labels. He's about making us whole. So I'm going to, at this point in time, you guys can play some nice quiet music to give you an opportunity to be like two of the guys who came up here earlier. 
that you sat where you're sitting and you said to yourself, I wonder what they're doing up there. Oh, those are Teen Challenge guys. Oh, they need to surrender. Well, how do they know how to surrender? <laughs> because they know what it is to not surrender. Because we all know what it is to not surrender. And so I'm only asking you this morning is to listen to that same Holy Spirit who sang with you four songs this morning. Because you see, what Jesus did was, and we just celebrated it at Christmas, he became one of us. That he might know exactly what it feels like to need to surrender. That we might, he might know what it feels like to have untimely things happen, to be rejected by people, to be abused by people, to suffer a terrible death, to exchange righteousness for our sins. But then he said, I empower you as my ambassadors to do the same. So should you decide to come up here and you say, today's the day I want some healing. I want some emotional healing. I want some physical healing. I want some relational healing. My life's a mess. That's okay, admit it. Cross your arms and surrender. And if you come up here, somebody might come next to you. I will. And if you come next to somebody up here, don't be a doctor and diagnose them. <laughs> That's already been done. Be the person who maybe touches them if you have permission and just praise for them. God, your spirit is here. Heal this one. God, your spirit is here. They need your power to go through this transition. Jesus, you know what's inside this person and you love them so much. Give me a love for them. Help me to come alongside them tomorrow. So what I'm going to do is open the altars. If you need healing, come on up. If you need to get going because weather, lunch, whatever, that's okay. If you need, I can't go up in front of this church. They don't even know me. I'm new here. That's okay. Come back next week. But if you want healing, come. Today, it's hard to get an appointment with a doctor. But with Jesus, it's easy. And so I'm suggesting this is your emergency room. This is your emergent care. This is your primary care physician. This is your mental health coordinator. This is your dietitian. This is your lifestyle coordinator. <laughs> We're not writing prescriptions for high blood pressure. We're saying, why don't you see if you can ask God for healing? That will change your life. That will make the difference. So I'm going to invite you to come up. And if you want to come up with somebody else, then just be the gentleman that the Holy Spirit is next to them so they're not alone. And pray with them. Just quiet if you want. So come. Lord, we thank you for this morning that you have written so much. You wanted us to know there are not textbooks on healing that are in medical libraries. There's textbooks on man-God relationship. And that book says I can be healed completely, inside out. And so I just ask you help each one who decides to come forward to heal them. Begin the process, finish the process, work through whatever it is, but make it so that they know it's you there with them. And that we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.